Romans chapter 15, verses 14 through 22. We'll read through the scripture and then I'll make these points about why we do what we do. Romans 15, starting in verse 14. I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge and competent to instruct one another. Yet I have written you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. He gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done. By the power of signs and wonders, through the power of the Spirit of God. So from Jerusalem... All the way around to Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it is written, those who were not told about him will see and those who have not heard will understand. This is why I have often been hindered from coming to you. As Paul concludes his letter to the believers in Rome, uh, a letter in which he lays out the gospel, emphasizes right doctrine and right practice, and describes what it means to love God and love others, he is telling his first century readers why he does what he does. What motivates him to keep doing what he is doing despite the hindrances and hardships? And in his explanation, he gives us, the 21st century readers, the necessary motivation for us to do what we need to do. So just as he said that message there or wrote that to them at that time, it is a relevant message for us today. And so I want to point out, right before we get to these points about what he's saying and why he's doing what he's doing, I want to point out that Paul doesn't say that he is writing to the believers because they are terrible people who don't know anything and haven't had any good teaching. In fact, on the contrary, he says that they are filled with goodness and knowledge and are competent to instruct one another. He is bold in reminding them of the truths of God because we always need to be reminded of the truths of God. No matter what we know, no matter how competent we are, no matter who is instructing us. And there are so many wonderful sources, right? So many ways in which we can receive the truth of the word of God. And yet Paul says, I am bold to remind you of this again and again and again. Why do we come together on a Sunday morning? Why do we get together in different opportunities? Why come together for sermon discussion or any other, any other meeting or activity and go through the same thing that we have been going through for 30, 40, 50, 70, 80 years of your life? Why? 
Because there is great value in being reminded of the word of God. But I want to also point out that what Paul is doing when he's writing to these believers, he, and in fact in all of his missionary activity, he's doing this because of the call of God and the grace of God to minister to the people that God sends him to. Right? He's not going to them to say, you don't know anything, let me tell you about it. Right? You are terrible people, I'll show you what is good. He says, you already know these things. I'm reminding you, but the grace of God has been given to me and the call of God has been placed on my life and that's why I'm coming to you because God told me to come and to minister this grace to you. That kind of respect for others and right thinking about ourselves must characterize our own ministry, our evangelism, our missionary activities, and our ongoing daily Christian witness. Unfortunately, not all missionary activities of the church over the ages have reflected this God-centered biblical example. People have gone out into all sorts of places, sometimes for wrong reasons. And the Bible is clear that when we minister the gospel to people, we must do so with humility, with compassion, with sincere love. When we minister the gospel to people, we must be willing to listen and to learn. When we minister the gospel to people, we must minister for the sake of the people and not for our own sakes or not even for the sake of the mission. Oh, the mission is doing well. The mission, you know, that we are on. We will end up building a monument to ourselves. The mission will transform to become a monument and it will become our activity. Instead, we've got to say we're doing this for the sake of the people because of the grace of God, because of the call of God. We minister to them for their sakes. That has to be what motivates us, right? And so when we minister the gospel to people in that way, we can identify with Paul in that we are driven, we are compelled. Paul uses that phrase. He says, I am compelled. We are compelled to minister to others because of three important reasons. And so the first thing that Paul says here, he says, we have a priestly duty to proclaim the gospel. We have a priestly duty to proclaim the gospel. God instituted the role of the priest in the Old Testament as a person who would intercede for the people, who would lead the people in praying to and worshiping God. The priest was to facilitate, was to help and say, let's worship God. Let's come to him. Let's pray. Let's call out to him. So the priest would be in that role. The priest was one who would warn and correct the wayward. The priest was one who would declare God's forgiveness and his blessings. And in the Old Testament, particularly in the administration of the sacrifices. As the people brought the sacrifice and the priest helped them to, or facilitated that, it was an opportunity for the people to be reminded of and to be coming before the Lord with to receive God's forgiveness, they would bring that sin offering or the guilt offering or whatever else that would be there. They would receive the forgiveness of God and they would receive the blessings of God. So the priest stood in that capacity. And the priest 
was one who would administer the rituals, the festivals, the sacraments with reverence and care. God prescribed a very specific way in which they should do things and they would do it with great reverence and with care so that people would honor God and obey God. It wasn't a casual thing. It wasn't trivial. It wasn't you know, just sort of something to do on the side. This was to be their focus. So the worship was structured. The worship was focused. The worship was ordered in this way so that we would give that due honor, respect, reverence to God and obey him. Right? So the priest is doing all of these things. Now the priestly role in the Old Testament was preparing and pointing people to its fulfillment in Jesus, right? As we always come to this, and I've mentioned this, you know, in the cross, in the ministry, the, and in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, we see these fulfillments. What happened to, then what happens to us that are living after the cross? Well, we are continuing. That fulfillment is in Jesus. It is finished in him, but it continues. It is lived out. It is found, it finds its greatest meaning in us being brought into it, right? Jesus as the first fruits, Jesus as the example, Jesus as the one who opens the door, who ushers us into the kingdom of God. And then because of that, we are now part of this fulfillment, fulfilling fulfillment, right? And which will all be consummated when the Lord returns. So in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16, it says this, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. That's the ministry that the Lord has done and enabled for us. But God's plan for restoration of humanity to himself doesn't end with Jesus as our high priest. God includes each of us as his children in the priesthood. So he says he gives just as important a role for us as priests before God and he wants for us to be seeing or ministering to people so that they are saved and sanctified, right? That is the call of God. So you don't always think of this. You think of priests. When you hear that word, you may think of someone else. But the Bible is clear that you should be thinking of that for yourself and saying, I am called to be a priest of God that ministers in this way. And the apostles reinforce this truth and calling in their writings, along with Paul, who recognized himself and other believers as priests of God, what we're reading here, this priestly duty. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, Peter declares, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light so that you may worship God, so that you may proclaim the gospel. 
In Revelation chapter 1, verses 5 through 6, John describes Jesus as the one who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. So our priestly minister is to declare the gospel so that people everywhere will be saved. This is a call of God. Why do we do what we do? Because we have a responsibility. Why do you do what you do in the workplace? Because you were hired for a certain responsibility. You were given a set of tasks. You were told this is your responsibility, your obligation. This is what you should be accountable for. What is it that we are called to do in the kingdom of God? Not just to exist, but rather to fulfill the purpose and the plan of God. What is the plan of God? We are called to be priests who minister this kind of life to others. And in so doing, as we do this, as we're going through this priestly minister ministry so that everywhere, people everywhere will be saved, that leads us to the next reason for why we do what we do. We desire for all people everywhere to know God and worship him. Right? That's the theme, that's the focus of what we've been talking about even so far. You know, saying, Lord God, we want to be a people who are worshipers. We want to worship you in spirit and in truth, and we want for others to learn about you and to become worshipers themselves. Paul says in verse 16 that he fulfills his priestly duty to declare the gospel so that people will become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. We've already seen in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, that offering our whole selves, our spirit, our soul, and our body, offering our whole selves to God as a living sacrifice is our true and proper worship of God. We not only worship God ourselves, but we want to see everyone else worshiping God. And again, this is not to prescribe a method. If you sing these two songs, if you say these five prayers, if you do these kinds of things. That's not the point that I'm making to you. We're not, I'm not prescribing a method. The Bible does not prescribe a method. It simply says, offer yourselves up to God in, in every way and worship him. Consider him worthy of your worship. Consider him the one that you will turn to. Consider him the one that you will give your life to. And as you do that, as we worship God in that way, we are transformed and we are continuing to express that true and proper worship to God. And now, when we say, Lord God, I want for my family members, I want for my friends, I want for my colleagues, I want for my neighbors, I want for people halfway around the world to also be your worshipers. That's then what's motivating us, again, not for our sakes or increasing our number or boasting in our accomplishment. Oh, I, I shared the gospel with 10 people, nine of them got saved. Or I shared with 10 people, 11 got saved. I mean, you know, it's not for us to boast about this, right? It's not for us to say, this is what I did. But rather, that we would say, Lord God, I want to see people worshiping God for their sake. That they would come to the knowledge of the true and living God. That they would worship you in spirit and truth. That they would benefit as they worship you. That they would see what the Lord is doing the, uh, and, and experience the kingdom of God for themselves. Amen. There has to be that kind of love and motivation in us that causes us to go and say something to somebody else. Right? 
So we do this, we're worshiping God, we're surrendering our lives to him, we obey him, and all of that is integral to our relationship with our loving heavenly father that in turn brings us into righteousness, peace, and joy, and ultimately eternal life with God. How could we not want that for someone else? If you truly care about somebody else, how could you not want that for them? What would you say? I see that you're living okay, or I see that you're doing pretty well in the world, right? I'll leave you alone. But I myself, I'm intent on worshiping God and experiencing righteousness, peace, joy, love, and having eternal life with God. But I don't want to tell you about that. Would that be our motivation? I mean, how do, we, how do we just settle for that? And what we often do is we say, well, I don't think they really want to hear this. I tried. They opposed me. I'm not going to say anything else. Well, you know, I'm not sure that this is the right time. I'm not sure that if I say this, it'll have the desired result. I, I mean, we make all of our excuses. We come up with all sorts of reasons. And I'm not saying... Be foolish, you know, just go do whatever, be foolhardy rather, just take whatever action you think of. No, be led of the Spirit. Be led of the Lord to witness, to minister, to do that. But the point that we want to make, or the point that I'm making to you here is that we want for people to worship God in all that they can offer to God. John Piper summarized this ministry to others and this call to worship by saying this, missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, Missions will be no more. It is a temporary necessity. But worship abides forever. Worship, therefore, is the fuel and goal of missions. It's the goal of missions because in missions we simply aim to bring the nations into the white-hot enjoyment of God's glory. The goal of missions is the gladness of the people in the greatness of God. The Lord reigns, let the earth rejoice, let the many coastlands be glad. That's what Psalm 97 verse 1 says. Let the peoples praise thee, O God, let all the peoples praise thee. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. Psalm 67 verses 3 through 4. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Which means... That we need the power of the Holy Spirit and then we need to see the manifestation of the power of the Holy Spirit. Last week in the context of receiving or speaking about receiving hope from the God of hope, I mentioned that we receive the power of the Holy Spirit and it gives us hope. Right? We receive the power of the Holy Spirit, the same power that raised Christ from the dead that is now at work in us and we say, wow. Oh, well, I, I'm, oh, I'm full of hope, right? I, I receive this power of God, I'm full of hope. 
But this week I want to remind you, or I want to expand on that to say that the work of the Holy Spirit in us, which overflows from us to touch the lives of others, is particularly meaningful for those we are ministering to. When we are called by the Lord, by the grace of God, to minister to somebody specifically, we want the power of the Holy Spirit, the presence of the Holy Spirit, overflowing from us so that it will touch that person's life. We want that, right? And so go back to what Paul says in verses 18 to 19 that we just read here. He says, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God but by what I have said and done, by the power of signs and wonders through the power of the Spirit of God. Signs and wonders manifested through the power of the Holy Spirit were to affirm, to attest what was said. Paul is speaking truth. He's declaring, he's proclaiming the gospel. But he says, signs and wonders were given alongside that declaration of the gospel so that it would affirm and attest to what I said. Signs and wonders point to a greater reality than what we typically experience here on earth. We're going through our lives, we're doing our different things, we're, you know, and, and by all means we live those, the normal lives as such. But then, when a sign and a wonder takes place, it is a it is a pointing to, it is a pointer to the fact that there is a greater reality than just this world. There's, there are things that we are not seeing with our human eyes. There is a power of God, there is a kingdom of God, there are spiritual beings and spiritual forces at work that we don't just see in our casual everyday life. And signs and wonders point us to that. They reflect that reality. They get us there. Signs and wonders by our, are by no means getting us saved, but when we have this greater reality that is pointed to, we say, oh, okay. It, it opens our eyes. It causes us to pay attention to something. It says, oh, God is real. When, when we experience a miracle, when we experience something, a healing, a deliverance, something that was totally unexpected, we say, oh, there's something here that's greater than just what I'm doing in my life. God is at work. We read in Acts chapter 2, verse 22, that Jesus himself was a man accredited. And let me just tell you the synonyms for that word that show up in multiple translations. If you're reading in different translations, you will notice the synonyms for that word that in other forms. It says it is a, he was a man endorsed. He was a man attested. He was a man certified. He was a man approved. He was a man attested and accredited by God through miracles, wonders, and signs. If anyone didn't need miracles, signs, and wonders, it was Jesus. And he's speaking truth. He's speaking power. He's speaking with the fullness of God. He is God, fully God, fully man. He is walking this earth in the, in the fullness of everything that you could imagine. And yet the Bible says that God accredited endorsed, attested him, Jesus, with signs and wonders. So, here's my point. Rather than arguing whether signs and wonders have ceased, we should be praying by faith, Lord, do everything necessary to lead people to obey you through our preaching of the gospel, including 
the manifestation of signs and wonders. Just say, Lord, do whatever you want to do. Do it in the fullness of what you do. And if that means signs and wonders, wonderful. Let it so happen. We're not seeking the sign and the wonder, but we welcome the signs and the wonders. Right? We're saying, we will minister. We'll be faithful. We will be obedient to the Lord. We will go and do what the Lord has called us to. And, oh Lord, as we do that, attest your word. Affirm your word. Manifest your Holy Spirit that is overflowing out of us with signs and wonders. Now, most of the time, we limit that work of the Holy Spirit. We say, I will do this and not more. So therefore, Lord God, bless this and not more. But what we need to pray for is the overflow, is the abundance, is the Holy Spirit having his way. Is to say, Lord God, I am able to do this much. I have prepared this much. I have prayed this much. You do abundantly, exceedingly more than I can even ask or imagine. You work. You do this work now. I will go and speak. I will say five words. You come with 500 you know, <laughs> words of power and with anointing and you touch this person. Do it, Lord, and you pray in that way. Which means that when the power of the Holy Spirit is at work in us in this way, we can't help but minister to others. Right? If, if the power of the Lord is working in you in this way, you can't help but go do something with it. You can't. You have to release that. You have to say, you know, I'm a live wire. It has to be grounded somewhere. I mean, this, this power has to flow out of me. Right? And you come to the Lord and you say, Lord God, over, let me just overflow. And that comes from sitting in his presence. That comes from being in that attitude of worship. That comes from saying, Lord God, I will be in with you. I will be in you and you in me in such a way that I am so filled with the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit that I can't help but minister to others. We have to do this. We do what we do because these things are happening in us. We are priests. We are worshipers. And we are filled with the power of God. We can't help but do it. Which means that when we respond and apply the word of God that we have heard by ministering to others, we've got to pay attention to what we do in a practical way. I, as I said it earlier, I'll say it again. A lot of times people around us think of Christians as Bible thumpers, as pushy, as being rude. Why? Because we have not paid attention to what the Lord is saying to us and how the Holy Spirit is leading us. Jesus spoke hard words to people, but nobody was accusing him, or the people that received him rather, were not accusing him of being insensitive to them. He did it with respect. He did it with humility. He did it with grace. Paul is not coming to these people and saying, oh, you know, let me tell you, you better believe this. He says, look, I know you know these things. I know that the Gentiles have a form of godliness, but they don't know the power thereof. Or he comes to the folks in Athens and he says, let me tell you about this God that you don't know about, that you're worshiping. You're even trying to do something good. But let me tell you something more. Because the Lord has given me the grace to give you this message. So we come with that kind of humility. We don't come with being 
pushy, trying to get our way. And, and let, me, let me also make this point. You know, sometimes people will say to us, well, why are you so insistent on, on you know, telling us about Jesus and having us convert or come to this knowledge, right? Maybe it's a point of conversion or maybe it's a point of just you know, renewal for somebody who knew this but walked away from it and just you know, abandoned the church or abandoned the Lord or you know, said, ah, I, I don't think this is right or good. I, I don't want any of it. And when you go to that person and they say, why? Why are you so insistent on my having to know about this? I'm okay. I'm okay. Well, the reason is, as we have continued to emphasize and even in the recent weeks, our lives are frail and short. 80, 90, 100 years, you know, maybe. But at the end of that, what, what comes of it? If we don't know the Lord, if we are not worshipers here now, we cannot be worshipers in eternity. And so we say to the folks that are asking that question, there is a sense of urgency. There is a sense where I want to say to you, don't wait. Come to know the Lord now. Experience this joy of the Lord. Come into the kingdom of God because I want to see you blessed. I want to see you doing well. I want to see you prospering in the, in the Lord. I want to see you having this intimacy of relationship with God. And we care for you. I'm not insisting on this because it's something for me. I'm insisting on it because I think this will be best for you. Right? And so we come with that kind of respect, that kind of caring, that kind of love. So what I would challenge you to do is to consider this, is to think about this, you know, and Think about missions activities. Think about missionaries. We support missionaries in the church here, and we are glad to do it. We are, you know, it's, it's our joy to do that. But when we do that, how do you think of that? Do you think, okay, that's an activity for the missionary who is going to Africa or to India or to, you know, Wales or somewhere else? No. Let's come back and let's make this practical, even this week, thinking about it praying about it and saying, Lord, for me individually and for us collectively as a church, how should we minister to others? What should we do to bring the gospel to others? Why must we be committed to do this and continue to do this for the rest of our days? How can we as a church reach out to people? Now, we haven't done extensive or any kind of you know, outreach activities. We haven't gone out into the you know, neighborhoods, or we haven't done some big, you know, event or something like that. But don't wait for that. Just think about it yourself. You know, what can you do? Maybe it's a conversation with a neighbor. Maybe it's a conversation with a friend or colleague or somebody else. Maybe it's a classmate from, we were at a fellowship meeting last night, and the, one of the people was sharing that a classmate of his from years ago suddenly reached out, or there was a connection made, and he was able to say something or to share something. So you don't know how the Lord will prompt or do that, but start to pray and say, Lord God, open those doors. Give me those opportunities. Let me do what you have called me to do, to proclaim the gospel as a priest of God, as a worshiper of God, and one who is filled and led by the power of the Holy Spirit. We're going to take a few minutes in just a minute to pray, uh, to worship the Lord and to bring this before all these commitments before him in an act of worship. 
But I want to close our time or what I'm sharing with you and pray for you to be empowered. After that, we'll come to and we'll just sing together and worship the Lord. Heavenly Father, I thank you that the call of God on our lives is simple. And Lord, the call of God on our lives is we have examples in the lives of Paul and Peter and John and others and they tell us, they show us how we must come to you and Lord, how we must worship you and how we must do what you have called us to do for all our days. So Father, I pray that as a church, as for every person listening, that Lord, we will be empowered to reach out and minister to others, to minister grace, to minister your word, to minister power, to minister healing and deliverance, to minister as you lead us so that people will be saved, so that they will be sanctified, made holy, so that, Lord, they will be able to worship you and to come before you. And I pray, Father, that you alone will accomplish all of this. Lord, by your grace, by your will. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.